Good morning, Hope Astoria. It's, this is not uh, what I expected uh, the first Sunday of the year. I was very much looking forward to seeing everyone in person. However, I uh, would make this decision over and over, a thousand times over, um, because we love you, we want people to be safe, and we want to care for you well. And because uh, we're committed as a church to be a community, um, some Sundays off here and there won't alter our ultimate commitment that we are together as a family and we want to serve Jesus together. And so as Pastor Denise said, we are really looking forward to being back together in person next Sunday, January 9th. We're going to go straight to Scripture. I'm going to read a passage in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to spend a few uh, moments in different passages in the Gospel of Mark, as well as the Gospel of Luke. Because as we begin this sermon series today, as Pastor Denise mentioned, on spiritual disciplines, I want us to look at a pattern, a rhythm, a way that Jesus lived that's super critical for us to take note of. And we're going to begin. Mark chapter 1, verse 32. It says this, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us from your word, cause your voice to reverberate inside our souls, that we would hear your voice in our hearts, and that we would obey your invitation. Lord, be with us. Bless Hope Astoria. Cause us to be strong in you, Lord, as we move forward in your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I remember... um, been reflecting a lot, end of the year, beginning of the new year, I'll, I'll try to intentionally create space to just pause and reflect and highlight the things that God has done, because my tendency is to kind of just move, move on to the next thing. And so as I was sitting with that reality and just kind of thinking back, what are the significant things that God has done this past year, my heart began to explode, began to think of so many things that Jesus has done. His faithfulness has been on display But on a personal level, I also began to think about a significant thing that took place this past year and a very significant thing that's taking place next year for me and my family, and that is that my wife and I celebrated 14 years of marriage this past July, and we're heading toward 15 this coming year. Now, I remember when we were first getting married and we had premarital counseling that I heard something that honestly created like a Latino allergy in me. I had an allergic emotional reaction to this when I was told that romantic love would not be enough to sustain a marriage. Now you gotta understand, I'm Latino, and so we grow up like romance comes out of our pores. And so 
I, I just envisioned that our whole marriage would just be one unending moment of romance, like from the moment you wake up, you know, to you throw out the garbage, you feel romance, you know, you pay bills, you feel romance, you clean the toilet, you feel romance. It's romance, romance. Can I tell you that that was a big lie um, that I believe because the reality is passion cannot overwhelmingly carry a relationship. It's, a, it's an important factor. You need it. But it's not something that you can count on to sustain a relationship during difficult times. It's great when things are great, but when things are challenging, passion alone won't get the relationship moving forward. I think another lie that uh, over the years have come to realize is that sometimes we assume a strong relationship exists even when the intentionality for a strong relationship is absent. We assume that there's a strong relationship because we do certain things together, we do life together, but is there, if there is a lack in an intentionality, like I think about the holiday season, I know for some of us there's traditions that we do every year and they're costly traditions in terms of emotional space, mental space, scheduling, to be with family, to be with friends. Yet every year the fact that we show up to these things keeps the relationship alive. Assuming that the relationship is strong without the intentionality behind it is a lie that we often fall into. And that's actually the heart of this sermon series. The title of this series is called Intentional Relationship. Because what we're going to unearth is that unless we commit to intentional rhythms to cultivate our relationship with Jesus, then our relationship will inevitably wilt. It won't be sustained just on good times. Your relationship with Jesus, especially when we first begin our walk with God, there's overwhelming zeal and joy and passion. I wish that that was enough to sustain us over decades, but the truth is it isn't. The reality is that things wane over time, that seasons of challenge come to us. And if we don't have some intentional rhythms that are tried and true and steadfast in our life, whether we feel like it or not, then our relationship with Jesus will eventually wilt. You see, if we only relate to God when it feels good, when it's easy or sporadically, we won't have a relationship with deep roots and so in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to go below the surface and we're going to seek to apply spiritual disciplines in our lives. Now, these are time-tested biblical disciplines that we're going to talk about, but that we often don't apply. The things we're going to, t we're going to apply are things that m many of us are familiar with, but we have to ask how often do we apply them? Are they a part of our intentional rhythms of life? So I want to be very clear. Over the next couple weeks, what is going to be happening in our church? We are going to be calling every single person to practice these disciplines during this month. For some of us, that will mean the first time that we will be practicing these disciplines. And can I tell you, I'm so excited. For those of you for whom this will be the first time that you'll be practicing these spiritual disciplines, they're going to revolutionize your life. Your, your walk with Jesus is going to become so much stronger. The intentionality behind it is going to be so life-giving. But for some of us, if we're honest, 
This series is going to be a call to come back home, to return to spiritual disciplines that perhaps were once part of our life, and maybe we've put them on the shelf, or maybe we've become too busy, or, or just lost focus on the need to be intentional in our relationship with Jesus. Toward that end, today, as we wade into the waters, we're going to start diving into this pool, and the pool's going to get deeper every week. As we go in, I want us to look at the life of Jesus from this text and some other texts we're going to go to, to unearth a powerful rhythm that Jesus actively had in his life. And I think it's probably one of the most critical rhythms that you and I, living in New York City, need for us to have a strong relationship with God. Because as we look at the life of Jesus, one thing that we will notice is that Jesus had a very full life. Jesus did not have days that were just purposeless or whatever happened, happened. No, there was intentionality behind every day of his existence. As you read the, the Gospels, he had a purpose that he was trying to accomplish every single day, and his days were full of amazing things. And in fact, the text that we read, it says that the whole town came to the door of where he was staying because miracles had just taken place. People were being set free by the power of God. And in this context, we see that Jesus does something that he just doesn't do once. It's important to note that what he does here is not just something that's a one-off. Actually, what he does here, he keeps doing throughout the Gospels. And that is, after an intense time of ministry and engaging with the purposes of God, all of a sudden, Jesus retreats. We read that early in the morning, he woke up and went to a solitary place to pray and to be with the Father. Now, what strikes me about that is that before this explosive time of ministry happened, do you know where Jesus was earlier in the Gospel of Mark, that, that same chapter? Before all this ministry happened, he was actually in a solitary place for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting and praying and seeking God. So one would think that by the time he engaged with all this ministry, after spending 40 days and 40 nights praying and fasting, that he would have enough spiritual reserves that he might not have to check in with the Father for weeks or years at that bet. But no, after one intense day of ministry, after having 40 days of prayer and fasting, what did Jesus do? He retreated again. He went to be with the Father. The rhythm that I was referring to is this rhythm of engaging and retreating. Engaging and retreating. If you and I want to take notes on the master class of how to live a human flourishing life, take no, look no further. Jesus is giving us the master class of how to actually have a flourishing life that's deeply rooted in relationship with the Father. And what he shows us is this rhythm of engaging and then retreating. Engaging and then retreating. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 1. Again, to give that context, at once the Spirit, Mark chapter 1 verse 12, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. And again, after being alone with God 
in the wilderness 40 days. Jesus has one really full day of ministry, and then he rushes to get alone with the Father again. But it doesn't just stop there. Mark chapter 6, verse 41, another riveting moment in the life of Jesus. It says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethesda. And while he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Again, we see this rhythm in the life of Jesus. He engages in this moment. There's thousands of people gathering, and they have no place to go get food. And so Jesus performs this incredible miracle, takes a little boy's lunch, multiplies it, and now thousands of people are fed. And after this incredible miracle takes place, what did Jesus go and do? He does it again. He sends his disciples on the boat to go on ahead of him, and he goes up to a mountainside to be alone with the Father to pray. Engage and retreat. Engage and retreat. This is the rhythm that we see in the life of Jesus. But to cement this pattern one more time, look at this other instance in the Gospels so that you and I could not walk away thinking this is just some some uh, tangential thing. Is, was this really core? No, this was core to the life of Jesus. If you wondered, how did Jesus manage his life? How did he manage his time? How did he set his priorities? What was a day in the life of Jesus like? We're getting a glimpse that he would engage fully in whatever he was supposed to engage in, and then he made sure that he retreated, that he had time to be with the Father. And so, in essence, his life flowed from prayer. Prayer was the jumping point. This is where life emanated from. He would engage after he retreated. Look, it says it again, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus, who lived the most flourishing human life the world has ever seen, embedded in his rhythm of life was this rhythm of engaging, but then retreating. He retreated in order to engage. That was, his, that was how he lived his life. And so when I think about that pattern of living and how we tend to live, 
a disconnect emerges. You see, I think rather than us retreating, we often stay engaged way more than our capacity to stay engaged. And what happens? When you and I tend to be engaged in life and just in the mess of it and in the busyness of it and in the importance of it all, and we exceed our capacity to be engaged, I think this would be helpful. I remember hearing a story about a house that the, the purchaser was really excited to buy. It was a great location, and he was really just envisioning a future with his family there, and he was getting ready to start his renovations. And it was a massive house, and he had this whole big plan to gut it until he met with the building inspectors and discovered a tragic thing, that the previous owner had actually built the house way bigger than the foundation could support that there were sections of the house that were essentially hanging free, that weren't rooted to the foundation. And so now this guy's vision of a future in this big, massive house had to be completely reset because, first off, he ended up realizing that the house he bought was, in fact, way smaller than what he was hoping. They had to cut about two-thirds of the house off because it wasn't on foundation. When I think about our lives and I think about the pattern of, of Jesus, that he engaged but he retreated, that basically his engagement with the world rested on this foundation of retreating. And so the more he engaged was predicated on the more he retreated. So he had to have a foundation of prayer and time alone with the Father in order to build that, the life that he was building on. He never did more than his capacity of intimacy allowed him to do. That's how Jesus lived. Yet when I think about us, the reality is that so often we are doing way more than our foundation of intimacy should allow. There's more of our life that's being built that isn't resting on a foundation of retreating to be with God. And so what happens when you're engaged beyond your capacity to engage in a healthy way we end up engaging, and our engagement is riddled with distractions. Have you ever been somewhere but weren't really there? Have you ever been in a conversation and, God forbid, they actually ask you to recall what they said to you because you know your brain has been elsewhere? I wish that these were just one-off descriptions. Sadly, this seems to be the trend for so many of us in that we're constantly living in a state of distraction, whether it's our phones, whether it's our watches, whether it's our emails, all of these things are constantly vying for our attention. And so when we're present, we're actually really not present. We're distracted. Why? Because our lives are lacking this rhythm of engagement and retreat. For most of us, we are engaged far more than our capacity to be engaged can justify. If we look at the foundation of our lives, is, are all the things that we're doing, is it tethered to intimacy with Jesus? Is, this, is it flowing out of prayer? Are we balancing this rhythm well of, if I'm engaged this much, I need to make sure I retreat this much? Or are we noticing a deficit in this area of retreating? 
Now, some of us, I know your pushback. I have the same thing. I'm too busy. Where I, I got too many things. My life is overflowing. And I'll be honest, we could go down that trail uh, till we're blue in the face. We could stay arguing that point endlessly. We're always going to be busy. Jesus was busy. But are we too busy to pray? If we answer that question affirmatively, then I would say we might be just too busy. If you and I are so busy that we can't make time to pray, then we might be busier than Jesus. Jesus had time to pray, which is astounding to me. It, like Making sure that I pray when I'm taking my kids to soccer and, and going to meetings and such, that can be a challenge. But Jesus made sure he had time to pray in the midst of multiplying a little boy's lunch to feed thousands, healing leprosy, entire towns coming to him. What his life reveals is that our lack of intimacy can never be justified by busyness. He was busy, yet he had this intentional rhythm but I think our lack of intimacy, our lack of this rhythm of retreating, I honestly believe it has to do with how we view prayer. Right now, for many of us, as I've shared that we're going to be practicing spiritual disciplines this month, we're going to be diving in even now, these past few moments I'm talking about prayer, there's probably layers of guilt that are already kind of piling up the words of I don't pray enough or I, I, I don't know how to pray or man, prayer is difficult or man, I want this year to start differently but I don't know how and, and, or, or I find prayer boring. I don't know what to do with it and I know it's important. I know, I know, I know, but I don't do it. There's all this stuff that we had to wade through but I think honestly most of it comes from the fact that we don't view prayer the way Jesus viewed prayer. I want to give you some suggestions on how this might be different. What if prayer, simply put, was a rhythm of presence and retreat? What if the discipline of prayer was simply those two things, presence and retreat? Let me explain what I mean by that. What if prayer was not religious words was not trying to recite or memorize things or trying to feel holy or, or, or look and feel a certain way or say certain things. What if prayer was simply being present to God? Being present to God. Where you are prioritizing in your day during this time, my goal, my purpose is just to be present to God. That's all I'm doing. The living God, for whatever crazy reason, wants to be with me. He wants to hang out with me. He actually delights in my company. And prayer is my response to saying, God, I will be present to you. And, and, and being present to God may involve singing, may involve words, may involve scripture, may involve silence. There's so many ways to be present to God, but what if we just made it as simple as possible that in this rhythm of engaging and retreating, if every day you made sure there was a time in your day where you were just focusing on being present to God. Putting your phone down, turning off your screens, eliminating distractions, 
and being present to God. I remember there was a time where I was really going through a rough period and I was seeking out uh, just some, some wisdom, some counsel, and I went to some older people in my life, uh, young people, if you don't have older people in your life, find you some because they have lived through life, they see things differently, and so I knew I needed some wisdom from someone that's gone ahead, and I remember I was meeting with this older mentor, and it was a huge disappointment because during the whole meeting, they kept checking their phone. I'm pouring out my heart, and I'm seeing this. Huh? Oh, yeah. Rough. So at a certain point, I just stopped engaging. I was like looking for this thing to end as smooth as possible. But then there was another mentor I met with. I'll never forget. We sit down. He put his phone upside down after turning it off and just said, talk to me. He made himself fully present. And at that point, it honestly didn't even matter if what he was going to say was wise or not. I just, it moved me that someone would be that fully present. Imagine how God must feel when you and I come to him and we allow all these distractions to get in the way. Versus imagine how his heart might, must light up if we come to him turning all these things off, say, God, for these next few moments, nothing. I'm going to allow nothing to distract me. I just want to be present to you. Whatever you want to say, I want to hear. Whatever you want me to pray, I want to pray. I'm just being present to you. But what if prayer was also just being present to God, but it was also retreating from the world? Disconnecting. Disengaging creating some perspective, some distance. Sometimes we could be so deep in the woods, we no longer see the trees. Sometimes we can be so enmeshed in this world that we no longer have perspective on it. But in prayer, we retreat, we disengage, and we all of a sudden realize that we are a human being outside of all the things that we do, that we are beings, not just doers, and in that detachment, as we disconnect and retreat, we gain healthy perspective. Prayer is this rhythm of being present to God, but retreating from the world, so that when we engage we engage in a healthy manner. I think another reason why perhaps not having a simple, clear, uh, non-legalistic definition of prayer, another reason why we may stay away from prayer is that we may not fully understand the gospel. See, the good news of Jesus tells us that we don't have to earn God's love. That God's love is freely given to us. And so if it's freely given to us, when we come in prayer, prayer is not an act to try to gain God's favor. Prayer is not an attempt for God to love us more. Prayer is a response to a God who loves us fully. And so when you and I pray, we are responding to the love of God. We're not, it, it, it's not a pat on our back, it's not a star, it's not a reward to us, look at me, I'm praying. No, it's actually look at God who loves me so much that I can pray. 
It's a glorious response to this incredible love that's pursuing us. And so whenever we pray, it's less of a testament to how holy and how spiritual we are. It's more of a testament to how good and how loving God is. And we're responding to that invitation to be loved by him. Could you imagine that in prayer, when you and I actually practice this rhythm of engaging and retreating, when you retreat in prayer, you can find yourself in the presence of a God who loves you fully, unconditionally, without you having to perform for it. Find another love that equals to that. You can't. There is no other love in this life that will treat you that way, the way the love of Jesus alone can treat you. And in prayer, you and I bask in that love. So prayer is not some chore. It's not just some arduous thing that we have to work for. Prayer actually is an invitation to respond to a God who loves you unconditionally. See, as as I begin to wind down, and I'm going to share some important things about how we're going to engage in a moment, I began to reflect about my life over the years and how prayer has been so core and central to my life. Even though I have waned many times, I have struggled to pray throughout the long journey, I've had to find ways to reignite and revive my prayer life. The reality is there's no other explanation that why I'm still serving Jesus, loving my family, pastoring, other than the fact that prayer has been my safe retreat. It's been my, my haven, my home. And I began to think about all the years, the different ways I prayed, and I thought I'd share some funny ones with you. And so when I was 14 years old, that's when I came uh, to faith in Jesus, I had no place to pray in our very small Brooklyn apartment. How many people can relate? No place to pray. So my alternative was I would go on prayer walks. So I would go to the most desolate avenue in my neighborhood, which was 3rd Avenue in Brooklyn. Now, this was pre-gentrification, pre-Vespas and cupcake shops and all that stuff. 3rd Avenue was shady. And so I'd be down there walking past drug deals. There's prostitution happening. Cops would often stop me. And now I'm just trying to pray, but this was my, this, the only alternative that I had. And then uh, I would pray in bathrooms. And so you say, pray in bathrooms, that's weird. Yes, I pray in bathrooms because people leave you alone in the bathroom. And so uh, they would think, man, you must have some like gastrointestinal issues. No, I was just trying to milk my time in the bathroom. So uh, in our apartment, I'd just stay there for, for like an hour sometimes and run the water even though I wasn't even in the shower, just trying to get more time. Uh, Then I became, uh, I was a single young man, had roommates, and now had my own apartment with them. And so what we do is we would actually pray every single Saturday, and we had this prayer gathering, and it went for about five to seven years. The last two years is hazy. I got to do my math correctly. It was definitely five. And we would gather and pray, and we would fill this apartment 30, 40 people, it was pandemonium. People on the floors, people on beds, on, on couches. And we would pray and seek God. And, and those were my single years. And then I got married, and then I had to make some big adjustments. Marriage, one of the biggest adjustments with respect to prayer is I couldn't just pray whenever I wanted to. I actually had to consider someone else. And I had to f- figure out how life rhythms actually flowed. And so it meant I had to get up even earlier Um, the normal, or I had to stay up later. And then kids came into the scene. 
and now it's figuring out how to have time with God amidst um, being Uber drivers for our kids during the weekends and getting them to soccer practices and making sure that they're fulfilling their school assignments and chores, etc. Uh, and, and then on top of it, now this last year in, in March of 2020, God gave us a beautiful baby girl. She has special needs. She has Down syndrome. And so now one of our rhythms in our daily, in our weekly experiences, she has four different therapists that come in twice a week. And that has to be scheduled. That's part of our rhythm. Can I tell you, throughout every changing season of life, what I've discovered is that there is an aspect of spiritual disciplines that fits that season. There's never been a season of life where I wasn't able to pick up one of these spiritual disciplines that we're going to get into that it, that, and it conformed to my life, where it was how I connected with God. I can't wait to share some of the things that we're going to get into because regardless if you're in this crazy busy season or you're kind of paused right now in a transition, wherever you're at, the disciplines we're going to get into will be sufficient and powerful enough to conform to the circumstances of your life. Because guess what? No matter how busy, no matter how crazy you are in, in life with your demands, God wants you to be with him, and he's going to make every possible provision for you to have a deep relationship with him. And the tools that we're going to get into, the disciplines are going to empower you to do so. I think of prayer in this way. It's the difference between meals and snacks. How many know if you snack enough, you can get full, and you don't have space for the meal? That happened with my son during Christmas break. Didn't realize he snuck a bunch of snacks. And then when it came time for dinner, he was like, I'm full. Like, how are you full? And then he fessed up all the snacks he had. So he missed out on the meal. You can miss out on the meal of prayer if you're just snacking on prayer. And, you know, you pray before, you know, you have your coffee. Pray in the car. Pray on a commute. Pray before a meeting. Pray before, you know, you call the doctor. Pray. And, and, and the snack of prayer can sustain you. But it, it, it won't sustain you over long. You need those meals. You need those times to just sit and devote yourself to extended prayer, to consecrated prayer. We're going to cover both during this time. If, you're bit, if your day is so crazy that all you have time is to snack in prayer, we're going to give you some tools on how to do that. But more importantly, we're also going to give all of us some tools on how to have a meal of prayer to sit down and be with Jesus. And the first thing that we're going to get into that I'm really excited about is we're going to have 21 days of fasting and prayer. Beginning January 16th, and you can see this on our website, if you go to the tabs and click 21 days, it has so much helpful information. And from January 16th to Saturday, February 5th, we're inviting our entire church to intentionally fast during that time. We invite you to prayerfully consider what kind of fast Jesus is inviting you into. It could be food. It could be uh, fasting social media, fasting screens. Honestly, the table is, is open for Jesus to set it for you. But we want to ask everyone, the same way we did during Extending Hope, we want you to talk to Jesus about what kind of fast you're supposed to engage in. And so we're going to begin that fast Sunday, January 16th through Saturday, February 5th. 
And so I hope and pray the question is not whether you will fast. I hope and pray the question you will process is what kind of fast am I going to engage in? Of course, as Jesus leads you and guides you. During these 21 days, we're going to have daily prayer prompts. You can sign up and get a calendar to kind of just guide you on your phone. We'll have a scripture and a written out prayer, just another tool just for you to pause and intentionally be with Jesus during your day. You could also print these out so that you have them all in one place physically. But in addition to us fasting and praying during the 21 days, us, you getting tools on Sundays on different ways to engage with Jesus and these prayer prompts in your calendar for 21 days, we're also going to have a special time of prayer and worship on Sunday, January 23rd from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., right after our second service. Really excited about that space just to come as a church and, again, have a meal of prayer. And then last but certainly not least, I really want to encourage you to prioritize this. We have a listening prayer workshop on Sunday, January 30th from 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m., During this time, we also have our small groups that are gathering that we're encouraging to create extra time for prayer. And also we have our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class that's happening January 26th to March 16th. I know that's a lot of information, but guess what? I'm giving it to you January 2nd as we prepare and get closer to January 16th so that in the midst of our busy lives, none of us... uh, will be cheated on the opportunity to engage because we weren't told with enough advance notice. This is a priority, this is important, that's why we're telling you so early on in the year so that all of us can have an opportunity to engage in this season of renewing our walk with God, of learning new spiritual disciplines for the first time, of us having an intentional relationship So plan and prioritize however you need to, but I pray and invite you that you would engage as Jesus calls you to. And I'm trusting that this is going to be a powerful season for us individually as well as for us as a church. With that, I want to close as the worship team comes forward. We're going to close our time as we pray I want to invite you to consider where are you at in this balance of engaging and retreating? Is the ratio of engagement greater than you retreating? What would retreating on a daily basis look like for you? To be with God, to be alone with God, to cultivate intimacy with God. What is Jesus inviting you to? Whatever he's inviting you to, we would love to equip you and come alongside you and perhaps give you tools and teaching and training. We're going to do this together. But that first question is, what is Jesus inviting you to? What kind of rhythm of retreating so that we can engage in a healthy way? What does that look like? Jesus, I pray during this season that prayer would not be a chore, but that it would be a delight to us that being with you would become the very core foundational pillar of our life that everything rests on. Lord, may our life 
the activity, the busyness of it, may it not exceed the foundation of intimacy with you. So Lord, during this time, if we have to shave things off, pull back, may we have the courage to do so. Jesus, we want to know you. We want to walk with you. We want to hear your voice. We want to be led by you. So would you teach us during this season? In Jesus' name, let's respond to God at this time.